Do you dare to be different? Do you dare to be you? Today we speak to Klim Pacheco, an engineer, an educator, corporate leader, and so much, much more. He is the author of the inspiring book, Dare to be Different, Dare to be You, and has a few lifetimes worth of experiences, which he kindly shares with us. Be inspired, be different, be you. Listen on. You can reach us on 0424-287-904 or on email at sriram at businessnirvana.com. Our guest for today's episode of The Next Big Thing is a true visionary. He sees purpose in transforming and inspiring people corporations and countries to attain their full potential through education, change management, goal setting, empowerment, and leadership, and creating a visionary world and a sustainable future for the generations of tomorrow. He's also published a book, Dare to be Different, Dare to be You. Wow, love the title. A life journey through goal setting, management, and leadership with a desire to inspire others to pursue their dreams with passion, vigor, and a powerful sense of purpose. Wow, much needed. Welcome onto the show, Klim. How are you doing? Thank you very much. Yeah, doing very well, Sri, and uh, thanks for this opportunity to, yeah, to talk to you and the people around. Yes, thanks. Excellent, excellent. Nice to have you. So tell us a, a bit about yourself, uh, Klim. What's your background? Well, I was born in, in Uganda, in East Africa. Right. Uh, but my origins, my mom and dad were born in a small state in India known as Goa. Ah, nice. Yeah, which had a lot of Portuguese influence. But my dad really uh, went over to Africa and, uh, and um, lived there, um, you know, for quite some time. And that's where I was born. So my background is really uh, one of um, a mixture with African influences and the wildlife of Africa was uh, exciting in the 50s. Right. Yeah. Yes. So that's my background. Excellent. Before we delve uh, deeper into this, we usually with guests, we play a little game at the start. Um, And usually I end up with some egg on my face because I put myself out there. But so how how this works is you share two things about yourself, right? One is true, one is false. And don't tell me which one's which. And I have the wonderful task of guessing which one is fact and which one is a fib. So is that something you're, you're happy and ready to go with? Absolutely. That'll be great. All right, Klim, unleash the two things about yourself. Right. The first one, um, I met Lord Snowden and Idi Amin in Uganda. Wow. The second one, I got to base camp at Everest. So over to you. Wow. Oh, wow. This is so interesting. This is actually the second time someone has said base camp. And the last time I guessed base camp, I was wrong. But because you spent time in Uganda, I'm going to say that you met, um, uh, I'd say that you met Idi Amin uh, in Uganda and Lord Snowden in Uganda. I think that's a fact. And base camp is a fib. Absolutely correct. Whoa, finally I get one right. <laughs> well done, well done. Oh, good. What was the meeting like? Under what circumstances? Yeah. Actually, the circumstances were um, sad because um, yeah, of course. Yeah. We, um, we actually, uh, with Lord Snowden, um, 
we we had a, an incident in our college where uh, mm-hmm. 22 of our uh, uh, soccer players who were returning mm-hmm. from, you know, the, the, uh, a place known as Kampala back to mm, of course. The, yeah. school. Yeah. They basically um, died in a, a crash. Right. And uh, so it was a very sad moment. And um, Uganda basically decided that they would commemorate that. And our school mm. college decided to build an, uh, a library. Right, right. So um, Queen Elizabeth, I mean, not Queen Elizabeth, but Princess Margaret and mm-hmm. Lord Snowden were to come down. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Lord Snowden actually came over to uh, Kisubi. And uh, yeah, the meeting was quite interesting because um, he sort of asked me what I'd like to be. And, uh, and honestly, you know, the first thing that came to my mind was, was an artist. And even though I had actually aspired to be a, an engineer. Right, right, <laughs> so, right. Yeah, no, it was very good. It was a nice meeting. Whereas Idi Amin's was slightly different. He came yeah. over to our college to right. entice us to join the um, the army because mm-hmm. um, you know after like you have VCE here, we had Cambridge School certificate, and um, yeah. what happened is after that, people would decide on careers whether they wanted to go to university or the TAFE equivalent. Or yeah. back go into industry, and he came over to give us a talk, and yeah, and um, yeah, so that's how we met him because um, he um, he was encouraging us to join the army, and wow. uh, my friend um, just said, "Oh, we should get his autograph," and I said, "Oh, probably not of this non-entity." I think I regretted that word. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. What was he like? Was he? Was he? Oh, very, uh, I think. If you've seen the movie, The Last King of Scotland. I have, you know? I have, yeah. Oh, wow. Um, I actually got uh, goosebumps when mm. I saw that movie because I think Idi Amin was a very, um, uh, very, I think, con- contrary or au contraire person that mm. you could not uh, pick him as to what he could or could not be. Yeah, 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 yeah. about him. Um, Honestly, the things he did were, were really unforgivable. Sure. See, but at that time, we were young students and didn't yeah. know much about the background or sure. what would happen about four years later. Sure. Interesting, interesting. So now let's uh, fast forward. Let's forward, uh, fast forward to Melbourne, Australia. That's where you are now. Yes. Tell us uh, you know, about what you're doing and more importantly, how is it making the world a better place? What impact is it having on the world? I'm not sure about the impact on the world. It's what I'm trying to do, but uh, certainly about eight, all. <laughs> <laughs> certainly about eight years ago, I um, I walked away from corporate life because mm. suddenly it felt I, I had turned sixty, so right. you know my age. Um, so I felt that I'd done a lot of things for others, mm. and uh, whilst that was all enjoyable career-wise, I mm. felt was I really doing something that that came from my own heart. Right, and I realized that it was really social and community causes that I had to work on. Mm. And whilst I had a big picture thinking, mm-hmm. you know, about you know the world and at large, it started really small. Yeah. Can I volunteer, you know, uh, my time mm. using my expertise in management leadership and you know mm. risk management? So it started very really small. I worked, um, you know, I did some voluntary work with um, the Salvation Army, and uh, yeah. you know, uh, and Developed, co-developed a leadership program for them. And so it started with that and then moved on to International Needs Australia, who were mm. another small organization. Sure. Again, a volunteer effort to 
strategic repositioning. And then I realized that, you know, I'll continue this thing by doing uh, work for very, very small and medium-sized businesses mm. that had a, uh, were, were following a cause, you know, the cause of home, uh, eradicating poverty, mm. et cetera. So, yeah, so I've been offering my services there at a, mm. at a, at a, at a you know, commercial point, but mm. a very, very low size. But more important, uh, I realized that I wanted to spread the word of uh, hope. Yep. And probably the most important thing was setting up a model of life, which we'll be talking about, hopefully, about, which I call the earning, learning, and giving model of mm. life, where mm. I, I advocated, you know, moving to a three-day week, working, mm. Mm. Not, not only for, the, for the, the benefit of people's life balance, Sure. But more to offer two days to others mm. to be able to, uh, you know, be part of a system, so social equity and stuff, you know. Mm. It's a work in progress, but mm. I'm hoping that that will be my main, uh, you know, my main contribution to making the world a better place because in, we can distribute. You know. Indeed. So I, w- I want to explore that further, right? And, and I really like this. You, uh, and I, I know for a fact that you not only preach it, but you also practice this philosophy of earning, learning, and giving. What I want to know is, you know, can business owners really do this? And how will this help them reach the great heights that they aspire to? Because this show is about inspiring business owners to become the next big thing, for example, right? Yes. How, how can businesses apply this? I'll, I'll put it like this, okay? Um, in essence, um, I started this for people who are 40 plus. Mm. People who had uh, been displaced by technology and mm-hmm. um, initially felt, uh, oh, well, I'll get another job and in yep. the environment. Yep. It was getting very difficult. And then they went on to part-time work and st- uh, tried to get part-time work, did not get part-time work, and then uh, you know, sort of went into a semi-depressive state. And I said, if I can get a model where a person, and mainly it started with professionals, because they had a skill base which they sure. could sell. Right. So starting with that, um, uh, it 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 moved and morphed because I found that youth of nowadays are actually looking at at, at their balance of life and social and community already. Mm. Now looking at commercial things, I think our main thing is yes, we are always as business owners looking for creating wealth. Mm. You know, and um, and I, I appreciate that um, the, the 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 financials might lead us, but I think if you look at society now, when you think about things like triple bottom line reporting, and you think of balanced scorecard yep. reporting, where you're looking at social, community, and business um, imperatives as well mm. as learning and development, mm. I believe that uh, organizations that actually have a mindset of giving, yeah within the context of, um, of work, yep. can certainly do it. Now, the other point is, how can you survive on three days? That is probably <laughs> the most critical thing I've been asked. Right. And, um, and I've, realized, <laughs> I've realized that um, COVID should have actually made us, re- uh, you know, we- it was a wake-up call. Because Indeed. what have we done now with so much less during the COVID? to say that we can actually give. So sometimes it's more an ideological mindset that we have to change initially, because if we can look at society 
as me doing something and me giving something. And so if I have to sacrifice two days of earning, but actually give it in the form of volunteering or otherwise, why not? So I'm looking at an ideological change for business. And it could be that you start with four plus one, you know, four days, sure. your, your, your commercial or otherwise. So it's still a work in progress. And uh, I know that uh, countries like, uh, I think it is Iceland now going for a, for a four-day working week, mm, they'll mm. be paid for five days. That's not the concept I want. Right. To start looking at get, uh, getting less but giving more. Wow, that is so interesting. That is so interesting. So, you know, you mentioned mindset, right? And I, this is certainly uh, an interesting mindset that business owners must learn more about. I think I would greatly encourage uh, all of us, not just business owners, to read uh, your work. And I think it's quite fascinating. So let's talk about mindsets, right? You know, we're, we're going through some interesting times. Yes. Uh, you know, mental health has come up for a lot of people who are either locked down or not. And so when a business owner has to grapple with all of this, you know, at an individual level, at, uh, at a business level, might, might have a team who's yes. also grappling with this. Yes. When things are not going well, how can business owners, according to you, be resilient enough or, you know, what attitudes should they have, uh, you know, when, when, the things are, when things are really going tough? I think um, I'll go back to 1982, which was a turning point mm. in my life. I was right. actually, yeah, I was about 29 at the time. And uh, I, even at that time, wanted to do things that would change the world. Didn't know what it was, you know, and uh, at, at 19, you're quite arrogant. You think you can change mm. the world. Mm. But I went over to look for a country. I was in the Arabian Gulf at the time. I was working in Abu Dhabi mm. in power systems. And um, I decided to go on a trip to, mm. to Europe and uh, the UK and Canada and just to see where I could settle down. Mm. And I met someone who had moved on from Uganda, right. East Africa, where I lived. And, yeah. and I went and told her, you know, she asked me how I was going. And I said, look, um, not too good. Uh, I've, uh, I've been an engineer now for a few years and nothing had, had no impact on anything. Yeah. But she said to me, you know, and, and, and she pointed out to the wall where we had, she had this prayer, and I'm sure you've heard it. It's called the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Wow. So I think that is my starting point because so, I realized that as business uh, owners or with a mindset, you need resilience, mm, you need purpose, mm, you need patience, mm, you need goals, mm, you need vision. Mm, and I think for me and any other business, the reason we start businesses mm, is because we've got a, a, a purpose which is beyond ourselves. It mm. might start with, oh, I want to make money. Sure. This might be the better way to do it. Sure. But it does morph into, into because you have to be customer-driven. What am I going to do for the customer? Mm. I think with the mindset I've taken is whether it is when things are going well or not going well, mm. I believe the mindset is the same. You've got to have resilience, patience, you mm. know, purpose, etc. cetera. Mm. But I think it is, is, it's knowing that you can go down in the bunkers, mm. 
re, re as they say, pivot or reposition your mindset yep. to say, yes, this is the reality. I've got to accept that I cannot change some things, but what can I change for the better? And how can I actually work with others and keep in touch with family and friends to keep my motivation levels up? Because you do need others. You cannot, in these times of, in these tough times, expect that you can do it all yourself. You absolutely, can't. absolutely, absolutely. Now that's very interesting. You mentioned uh, mentioned goals in there, and uh, I know that you talk a lot about goals. And uh, you know, we as business owners, uh, and even you know, even at an individual level, we've got a truckload of goals. <laughs> yes. And you know, so, but. I've seen that people approach them in different ways. And there's another school of thought, which I really like that says that, okay, goal setting is one thing yes. and goal getting is another. Yes. Right. Um, what are your views? How should businesses approach setting and getting of goals? I suppose um, let's look at the personal level and then we'll translate that hopefully to the, um, the business level. Sure. Um, I, I was fortunate that at the age of nine, my dad took me to the source of the River Nile. Wow. On the 100th anniversary of the day that um, John Henning Speak um, uh, discovered the Nile and, wow. you know, sort of promulgated it to the National Geographic Society and all that. And he, he took me there. It was 100 years. I was nine years old. And he said to me, he put his arm on my shoulder. And I talk a lot about it on this, on, in the book. And he said, Klim, dream your life. Mm. I thought that was really strange. I mean, you know, nine-year-old, you don't think too much. Mm. I was really enjoying my life. And, um, so I, but I, I went along with him and yeah, yeah. Um, I thought of two things. So yeah. I'm talking about goals now is I wanted to be a hydro engineer only because the, um, there was a hydropower station just very close to a source of the River Nile. And my dad's, you know, very close friend was was uh, a senior engineer there and I still just love the power of water when I went to visit there and so mm -hmm. I looked upon him as wow you know <laughs> I said why can't I be like that so I said I'll I'll do that and uh, so I said my first goal would be to go to uh, to be a hydro engineer mm. and the second goal I said was to be at the uh, to one day go to the other end of the Nile I didn't even know Egypt I just said I'll go to the other end of the Nile and lo and behold, 14 years later, you know, in India, um, the first opportunity I had to, to choose a career, uh, it was in Tata's, India, Tata Electric Company. Sure. And they offered me a job in a thermal power station. And I said, do you have a hydropower station? You know, the dream came back. Right. Right. And I said, they said, oh, but that is so small. We've got tiny sort of power stations in places like Karajat and, you know, Pune and all that stuff. Right, right. I said, I will go there. So mm. a dream, a dream, a goal, mm. and realization. Mm. The second time was I, I actually went over on that trip I told you about to search a country. And I felt on the way back I would stop in Egypt. And I did. Mm. I, mm. I stopped in Cairo at midnight right. without knowing anyone. It was a very scary experience. Right. And I had the option of just taking the next plane back to Abu Dhabi, and I didn't. I said, no, my dream has to, you know, be realized. Wow. I got off the plane, and um, yes, the following day, I walked to the River Nile. It wasn't quite 
you know, Alexandra, the tip mm. Mm. Uh, quite close. So those two things influenced me because I went back to the Arabian Gulf and I was in the deserts of uh, a place known as Orion. Right. You know, and, and I said to myself, if my dad could make me dream my life mm. and I could achieve those two things, mm. don't I dream my life mm. from a career point of view? Mm. And I would then write my autobiographies and the same thing. That's where I started this goal setting for individuals, mm. which I call the 30, 45, 60 life goal plans, because I decided that I was an engineer, a very, very happy engineer, doing very well, I thought. Right. Quite junior, though. And uh, everyone used to tell me, Clem, there's something about you in management. You've got a people sort of focus. Right. And it's very engaging. And you must become, you should. So I thought, okay, at 30, I will change my careers to yep. being a manager. Yeah. At 45, I will stop management and hopefully be an executive and right. go on to helping others. At that time, I didn't know what it was, but at 43, it crystallized. And you, I, but you always had the intention to help others. Correct. And it nice. was education. So I went into education. Nice. And at 60, I said I would free fall and do whatever I wanted. So <laughs> you see the, the trend of goal setting? I yeah. set it for my life. Yeah. And honestly, the same thing I've translated and, and businesses translate that in their own ways into goal yes. setting. So yeah. when I started this business yeah. of mine and knowing that it was just an idea yeah. and a concept, I said the same thing, you know, by 70 and I set targets of what I wanted to do. Yeah. The book had to be in that mix, but yeah. also the image had to go on forward yeah. in yeah. whatever way I could. So businesses actually need to set goals, but arguably, arguably, if they do not attain them, they should not freak out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, because the, the intention yeah. It's so important. And we talk about continuous improvement. We talk about, you know, being, being um, amenable, et cetera. And especially in this world of VUCA, you know, volatility, uncertainty, or complexity, ambiguity. Yes, we will change. But if you got your, your general theme of where you want to be, I believe, you know, we are resilient enough as business owners to make those changes to help our, 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 our customer and client base as well as to help our staff. So goal setting, terribly important, just as it is for life, I believe, and that's why I wrote the book, to show that whatever we do in business, we actually should be doing as individuals. Indeed, indeed. There's no distinction. So do you use a goal setting framework? Is there a CLIM goal setting framework that you can share with us? Well, How do you approach it? Well, my goal setting approach is, is really twofold. One is... Um, is, is, is the measurements are based on influence. Mm -hmm. So rather than financial, in the past, I would start with, okay, I've got to get this amount mm. of money. And mm. I've got a budget. I, I certainly set a budget for mm. it. And, and, and then I set a target over that and say mm. that all that over and above yep. will be distributed in one way or the other. Yep. We'll come to, you know, what, what really inspires me and travel is one of them. Sure. So I've set aside something for travel. Sure. And all the rest. So, so that's one. So the, there is a financial goal, undoubtedly. Yeah. But there is an influence goal. And the influence goal is, is about, have I, made, made my, have I taken my message across to more people? And that could be like with clients. You know, with, with clients, my, there is a message setting thing and there's a business setting part. 
So the business setting is, okay, I'm going to be doing, you know, risk management programs, strict planning for people, et cetera. I've got a goal for that, but I also have a goal for how much giving. And I've been very fortunate in, in very early days, I actually came across a group known as Buy One, Give One. It's called a B1G1. Right. Yeah, no, I've heard of that. Yes. And, and uh, it's run by Paul Dunn and it's a free <laughs> thing for him. But yeah. honestly, um, for, for small business owners or even sole traders, yeah. I realized that in the past I used to give to you know, organizations and I had enough cash flow to be able to do that. But, yeah. but the, I realized that the moment I started my own business, it would be a rise and fall. I would sometimes have a lot of money and sometimes nothing. Sure. I wanted to be able to find an organization where I could give to projects of substance, yeah. but give as much or as little as I, I earned or otherwise yeah. for causes. And yeah. that had to be global. And that's why the organization that I have is yeah. a tiny one. It's yeah. a one sole trader. Sure. But the influence through B1G1 is yeah. in projects all over the world yeah. for the so there is a sort of country sort of thing. So yep, yep. you can look at those sort of goals, you know, mm, like not mm. only the, the social, the environmental, mm. and they're doing a lot in that. Mm. Organizations are looking at their environment stats. So mm. I've got those sort of things. So I've got an environmental goal, mm. a social goal, mm. and a financial goal. But mm. more importantly, one day of my life mm. is spent on learning. Mm. Because after 60, you know, it could always be downhill. Technology is really shooting far ahead. So sure. I think there are goals in all these bits and pieces. Mm. Wonderful. Fascinating to hear. Uh, I'd like to delve a bit deeper into that, if I may. Yeah. So when you have these goals, right, be it financial, economic, uh, social, uh, environmental, whatever. Yes. Um, Surely the universe will throw roadblocks your way. You know, when you said, by 30, I want to be this. By 45, I want to do this. Yes. Surely things wouldn't have gone to plan. You know, there would have been a number of potholes on, on your journey. Yes. How did you approach them? And how, what helped you, you know, stick to those goals and not uh, move the goalpost? That's a really good question because um, I've told people, you know, it's not been a, the book really talks about it not being an easy ride. Yeah, but I'll give I'll give one one stark example, all yeah. right? Which which probably shows uh, you might have an idea, mm. and um, and and will it actually come to to play? So as I told mm. you, at forty five, I decided um, I would um, would go into something that would help people. Yeah, and by forty three, I think there was that that idea that I had to start thinking, and mm. two years before, in in that particular case. I started mm. thinking and I realized my, you know, at that time I was, I was head of infrastructure in, in, in Victoria, you know, the tram, train, bus, V-line, the whole state network. Sure. And, um, and uh, I'd reached that point where as I had managed the whole state network infrastructure, I lost the, um, the, the momentum to keep going. Sure. And then there was the announcement of privatization and mm. the, the, the system was to be privatized and uh, so I thought, wow, this is a wonderful opportunity for me to start thinking of moving on. But at 43, I said to myself, it is education. I've got to prepare myself for that. And I sort of decided to enroll in, uh, in the University of Melbourne, you know, to do my postgrad uh, education. Nice. And when I went for the interview there, uh, they said, oh, you know, Clem, um, we're sorry. 
but we can't take you. Right. And I asked them why not. And they said, oh, you know, with, with, your, with what you're doing, you know, I don't think you will actually um, move on. You know, I was a very senior person. Sure, sure. I don't think you will move to education, which is very low paying and all that stuff. Right. And I insisted that I wanted to. And so um, as things turned out, I got called back by the Department of Treasury and Finance. You know, I'd, I'd offered my resignation and said right. I'm going to education and I had no real job. I was still finishing, completing my degree. Right. You know, um, or, or at, uh, grad did, really. And uh, I said, I've got to go. And uh, I got called up by the Department of Treasury and Finance. And they said, look, Clem, you know, we've just announced privatization and it's, uh, we'd like you to actually work with us. You know, we, there were only three people who started the program. And sure. we'd like you to be one of them. Yeah. I said, no, I'm sorry. And all that, I've got all my goals and all that stuff. So the goals were there. I knew where I wanted to go. Mm. but as things turned out, you know, I had I'd managed a lot of staff and I, people coming into my office and saying, Clem, you know, please keep going. And, you know, I said, I don't know what to do. This is a very complex thing. And, yep. and my heart is somewhere else. Yep. My heart was somewhere else. My goals and my rational mind told me, yep. go, Clem, go to education. Yeah. But I knew there, there was a bigger purpose and uh, I needed to actually finish my career in yep. transport yep. by doing whatever I could. So. You're right. So I actually delayed it by two years. Right. But it didn't matter mm. because the concept of giving and doing good mm. was my guiding factor rather mm. than a date. Yes. Time. Yes. That's fascinating. Love, love it. Love it. Absolutely love it. All right. I'm going to move on. We're going to talk about your book. All right. Yep. Dare to be different. Dare to be you. Yes. I absolutely love that. Now, how should... You know, because we focus on business owners, yes. uh, how should people who run and own businesses dare to be different? Can they dare to be themselves? Well, I really believe that um, if you look at marketing, mm. right, we talk about strategic positioning. Mm. We talk about differentiation. Mm. Yeah. We talk mm. about actually see, finding niche markets. Mm. So what are we doing in many ways as a business? Mm. We're looking at being different, or we are differentiating ourselves from other businesses or differentiating where we want to go. So any organization that starts you know, a business is daring to be different in the first instance. There is absolutely no question that you don't start a business to be mediocre. Sure. You don't start a business to be like others, or you might, you know, might want to copy but very, very soon you find that the people you're trying to copy can actually um, undercut you and, and basically get it, grind you out of business. So 100%. what I'd like to say is that we are already differentiating. So daring to be different is, is really a, a, a given for business. So I don't think it would be a hard stretch to say that um, business owners are not, not daring to be different. Yep. But the yep. dare be, to be you part is that um, when I decided that um, I was going to change careers, I mean, you know, I changed careers from engineering to management and went right down, Yeah. you know, right down and right up and right down. So it was a seesaw to, you know, sort of uh, career. Yeah. 
where even my wife didn't understand, Arlene, was, <laughs> you know, what's wrong with you? I mean, you reach number two level in the organization yeah. and you just start again. But I said, that's the difference, you know. Um, in many ways, what I wanted to do is I wanted to be myself. Sure. I realized that time came when I was not able to give my 100 or 120 or 150% mm -hmm. to an organization. Mm -hmm. So I had to move. So mm -hmm. basically, it is daring to be you because the number of people who then criticized me and said, you've got four kids under five. Yep. And wow. you're moving on you know, to a career like education where it's uncertain. I was doing sessional work and just getting one or two or three hours a week, you know, sure. very high powered job. So there were a lot of critics in your path mm. and uh, you've got to believe, you've got to believe in yourself. You've got to believe that what you're doing is right and for the benefit of others. So I think business owners are no different. Yeah. They've got to actually believe in what they're doing and being themselves. Because there will be a lot of critics who say, you know what, just give it up and go back to, to corporate life. I've been told so often, go back to corporate life, <laughs> make much more. I know that. But is that the right decision for me? Not at all. Right. Wow, that level of clarity is astounding. Uh, I admire that uh, very much, very much so. Okay. So you, you've, seen a lot of, uh, you know, you've seen a lot of things over, over the years. Uh, I want to ask you... Um, What's from a marketing strategy perspective? Because yes, in this show, we see I'm fascinated with the mindset, right? My, my mindset, people's mindset, uh, mindset of business owners. I think it plays a very critical role in the success of their business. Yes. So, and we've talked a lot about that, which I love. But I do want to, I mean, I mean I'm a marketer by, by trade. So I want to get your opinion on, you know, over the years, you've seen a lot of marketing strategies. I'm sure some have fell flat, some have worked remarkably well. What, according to you, would be the most successful marketing strategy you've seen employed by a business, any shape, size? I think the main, the main marketing strategy has to start with believing in the product yourself. Mm, okay. You know, unfortunately, we look at it and say, oh, geez, I'm going to market this product and I'm going to do this. But how often does the organization themselves mm. feel that they've got a push strategy rather than a pull strategy? So sure. it, it always starts with saying, you know, how am I going to improve the lives and livelihood of mm. others? Mm. And the best marketing strategies that I've seen are those that start from the outside in. And we, we yeah. talk about this all the, all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Look, look after the customer. The customer is great. The customer is right. Yeah. But do we really believe that or we, do we believe that our product is right? You know yeah. what I mean? We are, we are product driven yeah. rather than an outcome to the individual. Sure. Even. And yeah. I think the greatest marketing strategies that I've seen have yeah. been those who yeah. have actually gone and said, how is, how is this person's life going to be better Yeah. because of that? Yeah. The other thing I've said to myself, and now it's coming, it's crystallizing to me even clearer, yeah. that from a marketing pers perspective, if we look at marketing and say, you know, wow, I'm going to use this uh, strategy in order to actually get a, get a high profile and get a lot of money out of this, yeah. we're going to really be positioning ourselves as number one. Mm. You know, I think we've got to ask ourselves in the modern world, you know, Three questions, mm. right? Is what I'm doing moral? Mm. Is what I'm doing ethical? Mm. 
And then is what I'm doing going to attain the ROI for the business? But that is third. Mm, in that if order. You, if you do those two things, mm. the modern world is looking for those. And of course, there will always be people who will be otherwise. Mm. But are you as a marketer, mm. you know, following ethics, morality? Because I learned one great thing with um, with doing the leadership program for uh, the Salvation Army. Mm. I was when they asked me to help out, and you know there was a great person I was working with in the organization. When I was asked to help out, yeah, I was looking at it from a corporate strategy. For me, yeah. it was just corporate, you know, corporate leadership, and I knew those things, and I'd worked on you know those things. I still had a different mindset, but and I they 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 brought in an essence of what uh, what had to be in their organization. It was called spiritual leadership. Right. You know, and, um, and it was a wake-up call for me. Uh-huh. And so for me, when I started looking at my leadership programs after that, I, the spiritual aspect was the morality and ethics yep, yep. aspect. So I said, I'm going to bring that spiritual aspect, but it is through morals and ethics. Mm. I'm going to hope that there are people who realize that mm. this because of these aspects, mm. we've got to buy their products. So that's mm. the greatest marketing strategy is to actually be honest, be ethical, mm. be moral, mm. and have a strategy which actually works because you've done your homework, you know, you've done your research and all those other things that we do in strategic planning and you know, whether we do SWOT analysis or whatever else. Sure. You know, yeah. Sure. So I, don't, I don't know whether that helps because I mean, absolutely. That was hundred percent. Uh, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, I think a lot of businesses do go in with that inside out approach rather than the outside in. And even if they do, um, you know, try to understand the customer, the efforts are superficial. I have seen they're fleeting at best. They are educated guesses. Uh, I think the uh, there's no attempt to actually get to the bottom of it. What what is driving um, the the emotions that the customers uh, the prospects are facing? What is the deep rooted insecurity or fears that is driving those emotions? And how can what we do address that? So mm-hmm. I've, uh, you know I haven't seen a lot of that. Uh, and admittedly, even I have you know probably uh, not been very consistent myself with uh, yeah. with that approach. But hundred uh, percent, you know you know those who do it consistently and well. I think they see uh, results across the board. Absolutely. Yes. yes, indeed. yes. Okay. Um, before we finish, Klim, this has been a fascinating conversation. How can people access you and how can people access your wonderful book? Please do tell us more. Well, um, there are way, different ways. I've got, a, I've got a website, you know, which is for the public speaking. Yep. And um, it's just, you know, lowercase klimpacheco1.com, which yep. is a very easy one. Yeah. I also have my business um, uh, site, business transformation solutions.com. Yep. You know, and, uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm available on my, uh, on, on, on my email. So anyone who wants to contact me can, you know, yep. and I'm certainly uh, happy for you to even spread the word or otherwise. You know? Sure. My, <laughs> yeah, my pleasure. With the um, things, but, yeah, very accessible. And I'm on, you know, I've got those two websites. But of course, my main links are with LinkedIn. Yep. You know, I love LinkedIn, you know, yep. because I think that's a, a wider coverage for businesses. Sure. And happy for anyone to just look at Plum Pacheco and say, geez, you know, let's um, get connected. Wonderful. Because I think that's been my greatest um, thing. Uh, because I just love learning. Yeah. And the amount of um, 
learning I've got through this last eight years adventure. Yeah. It's been amazing. And, you know, we, we look at social media sometimes, oh my, you know, and I too say, you know, I, you know, why do I have to go on this uh, Zoom and all, why can't I meet face to face? But yeah. because of that, I've been able to meet people from all over the world. So sure. I still advocate for face to face. Yeah. Uh, I'm happy to have a cup of tea with just about anyone who wants to, in Melbourne or otherwise. Of course. Uh, otherwise. Of course. <laughs> yeah. But here we are. And once the, um, lockdowns are over yeah certainly it would be great to meet and catch up and with you too 100 100 Clem. look forward to that cup of tea cup of coffee once uh once the universe kind of allows for that uh, yeah. wonderful this has been a wonderful session i gathered a lot of insights uh, myself it's opened up a few windows of thought uh, for, for me personally. So thank you so much. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners would have also, uh, you know, had a lot of aha moments throughout. So, so Klim, thanks for sharing all your wisdom, your knowledge, and for, uh, you know, um, you know the, the time that you have spared for, for this podcast. So thank you so much. Uh, the pleasure was all mine. Absolutely. You know, and thank you for, for coming up with this thought, you know. See you soon, Cliff. All the best. Three, five.